Hey there, it's Melissa Brunetti, and welcome to the Mind Your Own Karma podcast. Hey there, Karma Crew. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Mind Your Own Karma, The Adoption Chronicles. Today, I have a special guest. She is an adoptee, and you may have already heard about Lisa Ann, as she is also an adoptee podcaster. Her podcast is called The Wandering Tree, and she is my guest today. Let me tell you a little bit more about Lisa Ann. Adoptee Lisa Ann is the engaging host of Wandering Tree Podcast, connecting with her guests on thought-provoking discussions focused on the adoptee journey and spoken with each person's unique perspectives. Guests show their resilience, personal growth, and the power of positivity. Known for her empathetic interview style, insightful questions, and the ability to authentically connect with her guests, Lisa Ann creates a welcoming space for constructive discussions on the lived experiences of adoption. Her background in early childhood development, combined with decades of service in public safety and a deep commitment to her local volunteer efforts, has garnished Lisa Ann with an insightful understanding of human development, community dynamics, and the powerful flow of life. Outside of her podcasting work, Lisa Ann devotes her professional expertise to helping others save lives and passionately believes in empowering the adoptee community to become builders of connections. In her downtime, you'll find her spending time with family and friends, experimenting with new food concoctions, and immersing herself in books of all genres. Here is my interview with Lisa Ann. We are welcoming Lisa Ann to the show today. Hi, Lisa Ann. Hello. The pleasure to have you on the show. So Lisa Ann is the host of the Wandering Tree podcast, which is also an adoptee focused platform. And I'm excited to have a fellow adoptee podcaster on the show. Lisa Ann, I want to start by you telling us a little bit about your adoption journey, but because you're also an interviewer and have interviewed many adoptees for your podcast, I'm curious about some of the themes that you've been seeing in the community as well. So we'll talk about that at the end, but let's get to know you and your adoption story first. So what do you know about the circumstances of your adoption? Well, first, thank you for having me. It is a pleasure and I share your sentiment. It is always nice to be with an adoptee, but also with a podcaster who is pushing forth and elevating our voices as part of a a growing community. So thank you for that. And I'll dig right into my own story. I am what is considered a closed domestic adoption. I was born during the very, very latter edge of the baby scoop era. I was actually birthed in Iowa and uh, relinquished immediately from the date of birth. And I was then adopted. I have a period of time. I call it my life gap officially in July of that same year. So about six months or so. And I was raised by my adoptive family in South Dakota. Over uh, the course of growing up, I always knew from a very, very early age that I was adopted But the reality is my first recollection of knowing is the time period right before I entered into school, so kindergarten for myself. And I distinctly remember my parents sitting myself down, uh, explaining to me that I was adopted, and then sharing that there were other adoptees in my, you know, particular grade, and also within my general neighborhood. So there was some type of connective community that my parents knew other adopted children and, um, and were able to make that connection. Mm -hmm. Now in hindsight on that little piece, I don't know if it was relevant or not, but that was the time period that I believe they were coached to expose the secret. If that's, you know, kind of how we want to look at it. Um, With that said, similar to other adoptees, as I went through all of the life milestones and goal setting activities. I, I always wondered who I was. I had many of the fantasies of where I came from or how I was conceived or how my biological parents were living post relinquishing me. And I, you know, it was just something that was deep in my core 
for as long as I can remember. And so just needing to get to that prompted me to go on a, a search and finally feel comfortable with that. And we will be able to maybe dig into this a little bit more as we proceed forward with the conversation, but it is no surprise, I suspect to you, that I waited until my parents were deceased, meaning my adoptive parents, who I do call my parents. Mm -hmm. I believe they've earned that right to be called my parents. But waiting till they were deceased to actually begin the, the official search. I asked for a DNA kit in 2016 for Christmas. I received one. I then uh, systematically put it up in a closet, in a cupboard on the top shelf out of fear. Mm -hmm. it, it sat there for almost nine months. I finally went ahead and took the leap of faith. My husband and I call it, uh, come on, I want to talk a loogie. Right? And so submitted the DNA in 2017 officially and had a few weeks after that matched up with a bunch of people. I I ended up having around that time 10,000 hits oh and was unbelievably overwhelmed. Yeah. And sat on it and then sat on it and sat on it. Waited quite a bit of time for something to maybe rise up that had a, a closer DNA connection than third, fourth, fifth mm -hmm. cousins. Mm -hmm. Had a couple of hits latter part of 2018, first part of 2019, and then started some dialogue with a, a couple of those hits. To kind of further along my, my personal journey, the pandemic hit. We all have a little bit of a pandemic story, I believe. And mine is that while we were, you know, as a global community and a global set of society in lockdown, I was considered and and am still to this day considered an essential worker. I work from home. So the only impact that pandemic had for me was not having a plethora of activities to do outside of the home mm -hmm. with teenage kids, which afforded opportunity to then begin this biological search in earnest. And then I became a fantastic detective and <laughs> broke the code eventually in the 2020-2021 timeframe. Uh, each layer of it was a little bit differently uh, handled. I think that if it had not been for the pandemic, I might still be trying to figure it out just mostly from it would have become more of a hobby than an mm -hmm. earnest activity. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I have a couple of hours. Let me go see what's on Ancestry, you know, matches and let me send a message. So was it kind of difficult? You know, what was that like going through that process? Because I hadn't done that. I had somebody do it for me. But was it difficult or was it more like a obsession? Like you just wanted to keep finding out more? What was that like? For myself and a part of my journey, it had some complexity. Yes. It was very much a, an activity of obsession. And so just to give your listeners a little bit of a visual from, from, what I was going through during that search. I mentioned 10K. Well, it kind of grew during that time period. I ended up, I think around the time I broke the code, I was at just about 15K connections. Mm. To date, I'm almost at 22K, wow. just under 22K. And uh, that is a result of, of two very large families and then how that just, you know, exponentially grows. But obsessive is a really good word. I was constantly every night looking on Ancestry. I would then look at a name. I would then Google a name. I would write that name down either on a three by five card or a sticky. I would then dig, dig a hole, if that's a, a good analogy, just on one person. And then I'd come up for air and I'd be exhausted because I, I'd find all of this information, but I still couldn't tie it together. I didn't know these people. Yeah. I didn't know 
what I was finding. And that continued for quite some time. And then one particular pandemic Saturday, I was tired of that type of uh, work. And I had a, uh, a boatload of different colored stickies. I had made finally a connection with a cousin, first cousin on my maternal side. And that person kind of gave me a, a place to start looking. So every time I found a name, I determined who their grandparent was and they got a color sticky to match a grandparent. So I started the Dana Leeds method, if you've heard of that, where you can color code, I believe it's up to like your eighth grand, great grandparent to help you find lineage. I used that in sticky format to wow. distill down which set of grandparents maternally did I belong to. And I'm focusing on the maternal cracking the code because it was harder than the paternal. It had a different twist. But uh, as the time went on, I narrowed it down to four females as my potential biological mother called up that same first cousin who had an inkling, but didn't want to, didn't want to be the one, mm -hmm. didn't want to, in case she was wrong. And I said, I think I figured it out. It's one of these four. And she goes, I think you're right. So this is your aunt, so-and-so. This is the one you call. She is considered the matriarch and she will help you figure it out. Oh. So those are just the highlights. But during all of that, Melissa, I would share with the listeners, there were things I could have never prepared for. There were behaviors I just never anticipated from people. Mm. And I didn't realize how exhausting mentally just from all the brain power you'd have to have emotionally, how you would feel about what people would say to you or handle you or not say anything to you. And uh, then what that, you know, the impacts of both of those items to your physical health, no clue. Wow. That's like the beginning of the reunion before the reunion, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, yeah, and it is. You know, we uh, we spent, my husband and I, we spent a good amount of time prior to the Breaking the Code event that day. It was eight hours of research and detective work. But we we talked about all of the what-if scenarios, or so we thought. He, mm -hmm. You know, he went through, what if you find out this? How do you think you want to react? What if? they believe you to be this. How do you think you want to react? That was all of our preparation pre-reunion. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Still, it was a roller coaster, even though you tried to prepare as best you could. Yeah. You know, and, and as we're searching, and if you don't have your information, which you and I know is very common through conversations with other adoptees around the availability of their information and the right to their information. And I would say it's more prevalent in the closed adoption scenario, for sure. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen in other areas, just a lot of prominence there. And so I was one of those during that time period. Iowa had not approved and passed their law uh, the, allowing for the original birth certificate. So my only option at the time was scientific DNA, ancestry.com or 23andMe or heritage or, yeah. you know, any of the mm -hmm. numbers that are out there. That was my only option. Right. So did you call this person that you were told to call? I did. I did call this aunt. I took a lot of courage. I called. She did not answer. I did not leave a message. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. Yeah. Right. What, 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 like I couldn't wrap my brain around. What am I supposed to say? I also had found a, a few resources during that time period that indicated you should send a certified letter. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. That's too much time for me. I don't have the patience. 
Uh, my anxiety would probably go through the roof. That, that's not for me. I've got, I've got a call. I, I called back right after. I called before a weekend and I called right after the weekend. And the right after the weekend, she picked up the phone and her response to me was, I didn't know who you were, but I figured if you called back again, I'd answer the phone because caller ID, right? Yeah. So she did answer the phone. And I said, hi, my name is Lisa and I, I might need your help. I have a first cousin. Her name is, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Henrietta. I'll go with Henrietta yeah. <laughs> to save, to save the innocent. Uh, her name is Henrietta and I believe I'm part of your family and I need your help. And so let me explain to you who I am. And, uh, and I did, and she was a little caught off guard and she goes, well, you know, I'm not your mother. I said, which is why I'm calling you. We, I already know it's not you. I I do know it's not you. I believe it's one of your four sisters. I really think it's one of three because if it's the fourth one, I'm not sure how I'm going to handle that news. She's, she wouldn't be too, way too young. Right. She says, I think I need to go call my, my sister, my other sister, one of my other sisters. I said, okay. Keep in mind, she's one of the potential four. Yeah. Right. So she called. She called that sister. She called me back two days. And Melissa, it was the first of one of the types of things I didn't anticipate. It was my first mark of what I didn't anticipate, which was consistently consoling other people for walking Mm -hmm. in the earth. I don't know if you've had that yet, but it is it is one of the most interesting aspects yeah. of some of the stories we hear. And so she called back and she said, I, I know who your mother is. I am your aunt. She was crying uncontrollably. Wow. She says, I had no idea you walked the earth. Wow. It's got the chills. <laughs> yeah. And she goes, I need you to know the majority of the family that knew about you. They believe you to have died. Oh, that was the story she told. Yeah. That was the story the grandmother told. Oh. And, and, and then she even broke down more. And I said to this particular aunt, I said, you need to collect yourself. I'm okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to hang up. I'm going to give you a couple days when you're able to hold a conversation. Give me a call back. Wow. And uh, she, right. She goes, okay. And it took her another three days to call me back. And she was still crying, but not as, uh, not as distraught. And she goes, this is such a mess. And I go, well, I'm not going anywhere. And so how are we going to work through this together? And she goes, I need to tell you a little bit about your birth mom. And she did. And I said, well, I didn't see that coming. And uh, she goes, my other sister that I called, um, she's struggling right now. She's been carrying that secret Mm. for the entirety of your life. I said, what a burden. What a burden. Yeah. Uh, Eventually, we got through it all. And I did meet my biological birth mother. And uh, there were a lot of complexities around that as well. She has since passed away. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I don't have the uh, many of the other opportunities to, you know, interface with her. I'm still very welcomed into the majority of that family. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. I'm still very welcomed. Um, I've attended events. Uh, I attended a family reunion. And uh, when I'm in uh, the geographic location where they live, I make an effort to try to connect with those many of them as I can. I just want to go back a second because, you know, you said that when you were talking to your aunt on the phone and she was distraught that you had the wherewithal to be like, you know, let's, let's end this conversation and let's give you a few days. Like to me, that's huge. Like, I don't know if I would have the wherewithal to do that in that moment when all that's happening. And that's just amazing that you were able to like, kind of take control of everything going on and be able to, to do that. I think that for myself, 
the reason I did that was maybe self-preservation. I don't know how many people want to hear someone wailing that they are walking the earth. I just, I don't know if there would have been anything anyone could have said to me to prepare me for that. Mm -hmm. And so if I can say anything to another adoptee who might have a similar type of an experience, then I would encourage a moment where you say, let's stop because I don't know what else to tell you to do, right? I don't know what else to share. I certainly for myself didn't want to sit and listen to another human just come apart after they've just told me, well, the majority of the family, they believe you to be dead, right? I mean, so there's, there's some, there's some self-preservation in that step. And that's what I attribute that to is. Yeah. I think like most adoptees would feel like, you know, like we usually do, like, this is all my fault. I need to fix this. Like I need to make her feel better. Like you were saying earlier, like how you, you you know, you became the person that had to make everybody feel better about everything. It's in that moment. I think I would have jumped to that and been like, oh my gosh, this is all my fault. Let me help you. (laughs) You know what I mean? But I love that you said that because really that's what you should do is, you know, just say, let's have a timeout here for everybody to just take a second, have, take a breath and then let's come back together, you know? Well, I also attribute that Melissa to the concept of fog. And so we can, we can dive there a little bit if you'd like to. Mm -hmm. Prior to the maternal side, which has the the most complexity about my story, I had already engaged on the paternal side and was was met with a lot of resistance. Mm. In that time period, because it was the first engagement, uh, which is not typical from the people that I interview, it's usually from those that I talk to, they find the maternal and then they figure out the paternal. I figured out the paternal and then went had to, you know, detective the maternal. The paternal came easier because of the DNA submission. Uh, Around 2018, my half-sister, one of three, also asked for ancestry DNA for Christmas. And she submitted hers the first half of 2019, and we connected And it immediately said, uh, your siblings. Mm, Wow. She has, and this is her story, not my story, but I'll just get a a snippet. She is the oldest of the four females, and she was also relinquished. Wow. The difference in our story is, you know, her maternal biological mother hired a private detective in the 90s to find her. Mm. So she had all of the dad, father, sperm donor, whichever of those you want to use, whichever language works for Mm -hmm. you. She had all that that information and was able to share it with me. Oh, okay. Had she been in contact with him? She had. They had met. Uh, It was... Her experience with that was fictional. It felt fictional. You can't make some of this stuff up. You just cannot make stuff up. The stuff that people say and do to adoptees is just astounding. And her story, it's her story again. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she and I have a shared thread. Her mother, her biological mother, also played that she had died in childbirth and went to the next level, which my my maternal grouping did not do. They went to the next level and mourned her on her birthday every year to include her new kids. And so when my half-sister came back on the scene because she went and looked for her, she came equally from the dead. And it oh was a gosh. it was a, a colossal disaster. And uh, it's her story. And I promise you, you cannot make it up. And she doesn't talk about it publicly, but you can't make it up. 
Oh my God. Yeah. I can't imagine. That's crazy. Yeah. So she had that opportunity. She had met him. He shared, you know, he knew he had fathered four children at minimum. He was very aware that he had four daughters. He was also aware that she had been relinquished clearly because he was part of the private investigation to find her. I was next. He knew that I was relinquished. He was never going to, he was never going to be part of looking for me under the conditions under which I was conceived. It was not going to happen. He would have had to admit to what he had done. And uh, mm. he had then another daughter uh, after that, and then a, a fourth one. And the fourth one was raised by him. So why it connects to my capability of telling my aunt on the maternal side, let's take a break, is I'd had all kinds of connection, conversations. It had gone on for a calendar year with those three women. And in that, there was the fog and then the what I do reference as my coming out of the fog. And I speak openly about this moment. It was on a telephone uh, I was on a, a telephone conversation with one of the uh, siblings on the paternal side, and she kept really questioning why I would want a relationship with her, who I was, and we weren't raised together. And that had been going on for many, many months, I, just repetitively. You know, I don't know what kind of relationship we're going to have. We weren't raised together. I don't know what kind of, you know, we don't have anything in common. We weren't raised together. Um, you know, I just don't, I just don't know, you know, we weren't raised together. And I, I probably, I know it maybe seems like I exaggerate how often she said it, but I, I promise you it was so often that by the time we got to December of that year, I was like, I'm, I'm done. I can't yeah. do this anymore. I can't handle one more conversation with you. I can't do it anymore. I can't be questioned. Uh, I can't be questioned about my motives. They can't be questioned about why I was given up for adoption. And I can't be questioned about why we weren't raised together because all of those decisions had nothing to do with me making them. They had to do with someone at the adult level making them. And I've repeated this a few times, so I will repeat it here as well. I think the most profound statement any adoptee can make in the context of being met with adversity or resistance or justification for walking the earth is this one statement. I want to remind you, I was a baby. And if the person receiving that can't resonate with that and, and just take like a, a moment and go, Oh, and reset how they approach it. Walk on, walk on Mm -hmm. brothers and sisters, walk on. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So do you have any um, relationship with any of the sisters on that side? My oldest sister and I are still ha- uh, very much connected and we do have a relationship. And then the other two and myself, uh, we're done. Yeah. When you met any of your family, did you see any resemblance on either side, like either physical or even just uh, in the way you walk and talk in the world? Yes. So the first time I had a Zoom call with one of my paternal sisters, it was very obvious we're related. Our facial structure is is, um, pretty much the same. There's no doubt we're sisters. And then on my maternal side, there are a lot of the same characteristics. One of my cousins, she and I, if you pull our hair back, uh, we definitely look a lot alike as well. So um, that was interesting to see where my, you know, my curly hair comes from. I have curly hair and to see my nose shape and to see uh, the shape of my eyes. And I've, I've got a, what people call a round face. Not, I don't have the long, you know, skinny face. I have the nice round face. So to see that it was, it was nice. Yeah. And then how about on your mom's side? Um, do you have any relationships still ongoing on that side? I do. I just actually spent the uh, latter part of August uh, visiting my uh, my family up there. I have my adopted family in South Dakota 
and my biological family in South Dakota. I was actually raised 90 miles from the entirety of my very large biological family. My adopted maternal grandfather was a farmer and uh, in South Dakota and the county that he farmed in and his partner, which they had a large amount of farming land was adjacent to the county in which the entirety of my maternal and paternal family was living. So, wow. Yeah, there's, there is no doubt in my mind that my families probably crossed each other's paths on very numerous occasions. In my adoptee family, on my maternal side, my mother was one of six. On my biological family, on the maternal side, my mother was one of 13 in family number two, oh in family number two, and there were five others prior to that. So that gives you an idea of of how large those two families were. On my biological paternal side, it was also an equally large family. So yeah, there is no doubt in my mind. You had a lot of sticky notes. Yeah. (laughs) You had a lot of sticky notes when you were searching and doing your DNA. (laughs) Yeah. So here's the visual of that, right? So so I know, right? That connection. So it was on our center island and our center island is 13 feet long and it was covered. I bet. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. They're, yeah, so they're great people. I'm, I'm thankful for, I'm thankful for those that have embraced that I exist. I'm thankful that we've gotten past the, why do you even walk the earth part? And I am thankful that they actually really want to be connected to me based off of my experience on the paternal side. I was a little more, more ginger if that's the uh, adjective you know or verb we want to use but uh yeah they've been they've been great the aunts the aunts are very welcoming my uncles are very welcoming I have one uncle he's really quiet he's just a little bit older than I am and uh when I was back to visit them in the summertime he didn't know I was coming and so then we were at a a location and and they called him and said, hey, meet us down here. You know, we're having a beer. And he's like, okay, well, sure. And he had recently retired and and he shows up and I'm sitting there and he sits down next to me and goes, so what are you doing in town? Good to see you. Call me <laughs> once in a while, why don't you? You know? <laughs> and I was like, happened to be local. Thought I'd pop over. Yeah. They're having a beer, you know? Do you feel that connection, like with, especially with your siblings, I have that hard time because we didn't grow up together. I think um, that I just don't have, it's so, it's kind of, there's a disconnect somewhere and I don't know, maybe it's coming from me. I don't know, but um, I don't feel that sibling like I did with the siblings that I grew up with or the sibling that I grew up with. Do you have, are you able to kind of bridge that? Well, I want to approach this from, I think sibling relationships are complicated to begin with. And Mm -hmm. then I will also provide a little preface around add in the adoptee narrative and then who really knows while you're growing up matters. So I have two siblings that I grew up with. They are actually the biological children of my adoptive parents. They came after I was adopted and Mm. uh, they were uh, both surprises. My, my parents were the um, product of infertility or, uh, you know, they had been trying and that's why I was adopted. So to fill the infertility gap. Yeah. Uh, Then when my mother became pregnant with her, her first child, my brother, Four years afterwards, it was like this massive fluke will never happen again in your lifetime. And we were a really happy for for some family. We had a lot of other things going on uh, external to that that I didn't understand. I was way too young, like alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Four more years later, uh, and my mother became pregnant again. And surprise, 
another, you know, this is just an absolute fluke. And, uh, and it was very difficult, a very difficult pregnancy for her. Both of them were, but that one was even more so. And she struggled and she ultimately had to, uh, you know, had to uh, medically ensure she had no more surprises. Mm-hmm. The tone for her was very different than the the tone from my father. My father treated us all the same. My mother started treating me as if I didn't almost exist. I attribute wow. that to she finally had her own children. And that was really her goal in the first place. And so, yeah. um, but that has taken, Melissa, I couldn't even tell you, so many conversations, so many things for me to overthink, so many books for me to read, so many conversations to be had to be able to say that. And to say that mm-hmm. with comfort, and that's really only happened in the last couple of years. So yeah. uh, I I really respect that she existed. I understand her limitations, and and it is what it is. Yeah. Why that matters is the is the context of those sibling relationships. And to answer your question, my younger brother and I, who grew up together, were very 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 close. He's one of my best friends. My middle brother who was immediately after me, we are not close. In fact, uh, we have, we have decided to, um, to not be in each other's lives. And so the, the dynamics of that are because we were raised very differently. My, my brother, my brother that's immediately after me and myself, we actually were raised in a very abusive alcoholic home. We don't talk about it it impacted him differently than me. And, uh, and therefore he has a lot of things going on in his life and that's his trauma. And I would, you know, speculate he doesn't deal with it. My younger brother actually came at the end of that era of our childhood where my father and my mother found um, Alcoholics Anonymous. They traded their drinking addiction for that, for that community addiction. And so his, his life was different than ours. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, So there's that. The bond that my younger brother and I have is that no matter what, and I just haven't figured out why he's this way. He's just a fantastic human. And he probably doesn't think I know that or doesn't believe that I, I believe him to be one, but he has never saw me as anything other than his sister. Ever. Mm, mm. Ever. Wow. So uh, now on the other side, my older sister and I, I believe the reason we bond is because we are adopted and we have a similar, we have a connection there. I don't know if we would have a bond or connection without that theme. And then the other two sisters it goes both ways. And I just, mm-hmm. right. I think what makes it hard is you're entering in someone's life and they're trying to decide who you are at the same time. You're trying to decide who they are. And, mm-hmm. you know, would you be friends? Uh, so if you can't even pick each other out of the crowd and say, we'd be friends, I'm not sure how you're going to be siblings as right. an adult. Right. It just, it just doesn't happen yeah. that way. And then on the maternal side, I do have a brother I, he's not very connected to the family though, period. So I don't, I think that that is more of the reason than the two of us and we don't have anything in common. So I can kind of understand the, mm-hmm. yeah, right. Same context. Would we pick each other out of the crowd to be friends? Probably, right. Probably yeah. not. Yeah. How about you? Oh, how about me? Well, I grew up with a brother um, and he, my whole entire family never, I don't feel adopted in my adoptive family at all. Never have. Um, it's almost like they forget that I'm even <laughs> was ever adopted. They're like, why are you even saying that? Why are you bringing that up? I don't care. You know? Um, so, uh, it, that's just the way it's been, you know, the whole, the whole, my whole life, but, uh, my biological siblings, I have two brothers on my maternal side, two sisters on my, um, dad's side. And I know all of them. I'm in contact with one brother. The other one, um, I haven't had contact with him in years. Um, again, like you said, not a lot in common. And um, 
And he was seven when I kind of came into the picture. And I think he was just all around kind of confused about the whole thing and how to feel about it, you know? Um, and then my two sisters, they live close to me. Like I could drive right now and see them, you know, within an hour. Um, and we talk, uh, you know, holidays, Merry Christmas. (laughs) And, uh, once in a while we'll start having normal conversations of something's, you know, going on in one of their lives or something like that. But, um, there's just some kind of disconnect there. Like, uh, you know, um, it feels not forced, but it just feels kind of obligate, like an obligation almost, um, that we have that you know, that we try to have that connection. Um, so it feels different than definitely than I felt, um, growing up with my uh, adoptive brother, but, um, yeah. So just again, kind of complicated and, you know, I have been exploring for myself a little bit of thought process, I guess, around, this mantra that we hear in society family is the most important thing and then the breakdown of that sentence when you are an adoptee trying to connect to family so i haven't resolved it for my own thought process and Mm. which makes it hard for me to talk about it with any type of resolution, yeah, right, associated with that. But there, there's just a really a, a split between that that mantra and adoptees trying to connect to the family. And I bring it up because I think that's what, exactly what you and I might be talking about as it relates to the sibling relationship connection, but also the connection with our, you know, extended families now that are biologically identified as, as our families. I don't know how to overcome that mentality because my struggle is when I hear, when I hear someone say, I'm all about family, family is the most important thing to me. You know, I, I, I would know what I would do without my family. And then I'm over here and by science, I'm your family. And yet I don't fit what you've just said at all. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a very interesting kind of topic to really try to wrap your brain around and psychologically come to some conclusion that allows you to move forward as the adoptee. I don't know. I really can't speak for anybody but myself, but my mind goes to, I don't know how the biological sibling or aunt or uncle or parent on the other side of that conversation, how they rationale that this person isn't family, right? And yeah. yet say, I'm all about family. I just, yeah, I haven't gotten yeah. there yet. So complex. So, so, so complex. Uh, but you were talking about coming out of the fog when you were talking to your sister, Um so by her repeating that line over and over and over again, what did that look like at that point? I mean, what were you feeling? What do you mean by you were starting to come out of the fog or realizing that you were in the fog at that point? Well, I am a believer that fog for me stood for fear, obligation, gratitude, and I recognize all of the burdens that adoptees carry throughout life. And I know it's not malice or intentional by society or those that aren't adopted. They don't understand. They just really honestly don't understand. Yeah. But when you get to a point in any type of a conversation where you are repetitively justifying your existence justifying that you're on the phone and you have to repetitively tell someone it's science I don't know how to explain it to you any any more plainly when you get to that and you recognize there's a there's like a, a fatigue right that's a mental fatigue um uh, 
I believe something like that pushes you to a break point that says enough is enough. Like enough is enough. I am a human. I am walking the earth. I don't owe you any explanation. I, I am not the one that owes you the explanation. And as soon as you get there, I think that your, your mindset changes around fear and obligation and gratitude or, you know, whatever the uh, fog means to you. I know some people put grief on the G. Um, I do think it has a little bit of a definition for, for each person based, yeah, based off of their experience. But for myself, that was really what it was. It was like, you know what? I'm done. Uh, I'm done trying to explain to you. I was a baby. I I don't owe you anything. I really don't. And um, yeah, that was where you kind of just yanked out of the fog and that was it. Like you, at that moment you were like, it wasn't like a process that kind of seemed like it was just a moment. Yeah. I was just like, I'm I'm never going to, I'm never going to sit another moment in any conversation. Doesn't matter who it is and explain to them how I got here. Well, we all know how the birds and the bees work. So I don't have to explain that to you. And we all understand that people in society have an opportunity right, wrong, or indifferent, because I don't want to go in that debate right now, but they walk away from a human. It happens worldwide. So if you need me to explain anything more to you, we probably don't have a lot to talk about because I'm going to be frustrated and angry and very very pointed. And you're going to hear it in my tone, just like you're doing right now. And we're not going to get very far because you've pushed me to my edge and and everybody has a break point of something. And, and I think that's really what it is for me. And so, yeah, it was like in that moment and I'm done. I'm never, ever going to justify me. Not going to happen. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) And everybody has a different experience, right? When we know, we know that from, from conversations with other adoptees and, you know, my, my personality is a little bit more sometimes black and white and, that's part of my my personality that would maybe be the nature part I don't know maybe the nurture part we could debate that we could (laughs) debate that too a little bit of all (laughs) so you have a podcast why did you decide to do an adoptee focused podcast what made you decide to yeah my why my why we just covered a lot of ground today on the experience and the journey of just a few years. And I, um, I was sitting in my kitchen and my husband and I had been talking about all of the things that were happening and how to get help and resources. We work, we work in a segment of the United States that is associated with fire police and EMS. And we are very aware of the toll it takes on those humans that are constantly day after day dealing with the turmoil of someone's worst day. The majority of response to emergencies are not happy and right uh and so you regardless of how you feel about any of those disciplines i just named the reality is they are humans on someone's worst day and so by kind of by proxy over here Knowing that and knowing the type of long-term trauma that that segment of society deals with, we started drawing an arcing over to long-term trauma for abandonment and trust issues and a few other things. Uh, At that time, I probably could have been more red around the concepts of the primal wound and the concepts of um, pre-verbal trauma. And I could have mapped back 
multiple decades of behavior and understanding to to those those things. And he go, my husband said, you're going to explode if you don't start talking about it. So let's figure it out. And if mm. this is how you feel and you're struggling to find outlets, then there's probably someone like you that needs an outlet and maybe can just be comforted in your experience or learn one or two things. I said, you know, you're right. I want to do a podcast. And if I touch one person, uh, if I just get one listener and something, I don't even, I don't know, I don't even care what it is, but one thing helps them through one event because it's always a series of events. I, I'll be okay and I'll be happy and I don't even I don't even need to know who it is. I really don't. So that that's my why. I never wanted someone to be sitting in a kitchen at a table going, why why does she care if I if I'm di- didn't grow up with her or, you know, why did that person decide that I'm not good enough to call back? Or, you know, why did I have two women, adult women playing some kind of high school triangle game? Like what, or like all of that stuff, uh, no outlet. So that's my why I want to, I want to just share my uh, life experience and, I hope that other adoptees, as they start getting older, young and old, because we all come to this this journey at a different spot. Mm. But wouldn't it be nice if there was a generation of humans who are adopted? Because I I know that's not going away in my lifetime. So I'm not going to yeah. pretend. I'm not going to pretend that. That benefit, the benefit from everything that you and I have gone through and other adoptees have gone through, where it's not until you're in your multiple decades later of life, you're experiencing all the major health problems as a result of that. Uh, just, you know, just all that. It just is better all, managed. All the things. Yeah, the whole, yeah. the holistic approach to that. So that's my yeah. why. And uh, so we, we literally pulled out some stuff sat at a kitchen table and just started talking mm. and did you talk on the podcast or were you just this was, was like pre-podcast nope this was a this was our very first episode and it oh, was wow. ad hoc it wasn't pre-planned at all and we said let's just let's just start doing it because if we don't wow. start it'll never happen number one and my why will not be fulfilled and and it goes on and on and on. So for the first season, it was he, I, and every once in a while, like a friend of ours. And we really dug into how I was feeling about myself and, um, yeah, how I was really feeling about myself. And it wasn't healthy. I wasn't healthy. I, you know, if you really listen, you really listen to that first season, season one. And you're an adoptee that's a little further down on your journey. You'll be like, Wow. She was, she was sharing with us as she was living every moment. Mm. So what did help you kind of along the way then deal with adoption trauma or whatever lingo you use for that? Well, it's a process. I don't know if I'm all the way through it. I don't know if I will ever get all the way through it. That's a little bit hard to to rationalize. I want to, I want to, you know, have an end point like, oh, I'm healed or, you know, I'm over it or, you know, I never have anxiety or, you know what I mean? I'd love to have a, a fini. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that is not going to happen. And so the, the real pivotal point for myself came in 2023. 2023 was a really, pardon my French, crap year. And I never want to have to live it quite like that again. Mm. A lot of contributing factors, but what I will I will say is the driving factor was my mind shift of how I felt about me, me, Lisa Ann, as a person in the world as a result of search and reunion. Prior to that event, 
Melissa, I, I often think of myself as on top of the mountain, on top of the world. I, I felt as if I was thriving and highly accomplished and very intelligent and very successful by multiple definitions, personal, professional. I lived and loved life. I had, you know, no different than most humans, a bucket list. Most of my bucket list has been checked uh, in all honesty. And I just, you know, I was extremely vibrant as a human. My aura, it, it was yellow, if that makes sense to you. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I just, I really loved me. I loved me. And the search and reunion part shifted me because I learned, I learned that my biological mother was emotionally and mentally impaired. So her capacity is very different than what I had fantasized about or was very different mm-hmm. than what I had fantasized about. But also that immediately that means I'm part of her. And so if she is struggling with her intelligence, intellect, and emotional capabilities, then I must be an absolute fake for all of those many years mm-hmm. of my life. And so that was the, that was the start of the down to the basement, literally basement and beyond. And I kept digging a hole. I I kept Mm -hmm. wondering, you know, uh, how, how can, if I'm that, if I'm part of that, uh, this isn't anything to be discriminatory against her, right? This isn't Mm -hmm. condemning her as a person. It's about me. But if I'm if I'm biologically connected to that, how can I possibly be this? Mm. How can I possibly be this? And so my mindset about who I was in life was changing, which started impacting my uh, relationships. Mm-hmm. professionally, I was moving, I was moving up again. I was accelerating, but struggling with, I'm accelerating, but I'm, I'm, I must be a fake. I can't be possibly that smart. I must be a fake. I can't be that smart. I'm from her. I can't be that smart. So you yeah. see the self-doubt, the self-talk yeah, and it starts taking over. And then, um, that's a challenge. The higher you go, the skill gap closes and then the more stress it is and the harder it is to, to uh, find the levels of success you want in the corporate world. It really is. So that started taking a toll and I had a health, a health scare in 2023 front end. Uh, and uh, it was literally at the, at that time period, several things were going on and I received a text message and the text message basically was putting putting a, an instance at my feet. And I read the text message. I sat there, similar to coming out of the fog, right? I'm like, uh, this isn't I'm, this isn't right. Okay. I've been feeling off for a while. And so I need to do something about it. And I started with figuring out how to become a me that matched how I was feeling about who I was and where I came from to how I was showing up in uh, my personal life, my professional life and society. And that would allow me to move forward without being in, in the, you know, the abyss. So, yeah. Yeah. I focused That's a powerful story. Yeah. I focused a lot. I, I hope that listeners can take a little nugget therapy. Uh, Therapy wasn't an option just by where I live. I know the therapists as personal friends mm. and I'm in a small community. So I pretty much like, right. Right. Uh, but there are other things depending on your internal 
drive that you can do to also help yourself until you can get to a therapist or get to some type of a uh, online source because now those are available mm-hmm. too. And I, yes. I love that. <laughs> I'm like, oh, finally, yes. finally, we've broken through. But yeah, it was it was having a pivotal moment and then saying I need to educate myself on what it means to be me. So I need to understand the difference between what is my my identity and my personality, my behaviors, and how I and how I view myself. And so I focused on that for a calendar year. Wow. Had wow. had some great guests on the podcast, which also uh, continue to push forward my why, because each of my seasons, I'm probably going through something. And yeah. I map it back to my guests, right? I go, I yeah. right. So people, people reach out. And I'll be like, okay, let me think about it, and or, or I'll go uh, seek people out because they have an element of what I think might help someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. yeah, I think that's very key. Yeah. So in closing, I always like to ask, what would you like struggling adoptees to know? There is community, there is an adoptee community. There are all different layers of that community. So I strongly encourage, go find a way to connect. There are podcasts like yours and like mine, and I could list, I think five more and, uh, and lift them up and we should be doing doing that because each time we hear someone talk we learn something new and even if you've heard me speak 56 times or you know 100 times or 200 times my story and my journey is going to change and my perspective is going to change so that means the nugget might change yeah so podcasting is growing and I love that it means we're feeling more comfortable vocalizing what we have felt and seen and experienced for others. I strongly encourage connection to, if you like to read blogs and books, uh, it might feel like there's a lot of memoirs coming out and it's on overload. I've heard people say that to me. I've also heard and had uh, some people send me messages that say, uh, sometimes I think your podcast is all about the book. Well, actually, it's, the book just happens to be an outcome for someone's story. It's still their story. But when yeah. we look at the volume of adoptees, I don't think there's going to be enough memoirs or podcasts or blogs or adoption competent therapists to cover each one of us uh, in, yeah. in any lifetime. So lots of space. That's really what I I would want listeners to take away from any discussion, find a connection, find a way to, to, to express yourself, hold space for each other. Cause we're all in different spots. Some of our experiences have been really tragic and I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Some of us have been in the middle of the ground. I'm probably middle ground. Mm-hmm. Some people have had a, you know, a fantastic, I guess, if you want to say adoption experience, not unlike anything else in the world, it's the same in this community. But most importantly, I, I do have two favorite things. I have a favorite quote that helps me with my adoptee identity. And it is the be yourself. Everyone else is taken. <laughs> Oscar Wilde. And I also have a mantra that I, I've been using quite a bit in the latter part of 2023 and the first part here of 2024, and that is to tell my adoptive brain to calm down and to live happily. Mm, nice. To say it over and yeah. over. Calm down, brain. Live happily. <laughs> it's that simple. Right? Yes. But definitely, I think finding your tribe in this adoptee community is huge. And there's, like you said, there's so many outlets that you will find it. Just don't give up, you know? And um, if anyone is struggling finding an adoptee that is a therapist, um, I have resources that there's a whole page on Beth Syverson um, 
an adoptive parent, but it's, it's also adoptees, birth mothers, anybody you can um, search on um, this webpage that she has for um, adoptee therapists or, you know, and there's even holistic stuff on there. So if you are struggling and for looking for somebody um, get in touch with me, cause I can, I can direct you in that direction. Um, so Lisa Ann, where can we find you and your podcast and all those things? Well, thank you again for having me on the show. I, I absolutely feel it's an honor to have this opportunity. And I also want to say I appreciate you, Adoptee, for putting yourself in a position that allows us to do that. So to find me, the name of the podcast is Wandering Tree. And we are on all of the normal podcasting platforms. You, the top probably two or three I would uh, push out our Spotify, Apple, and Google, also in the Amazon uh, realm as well. But I uh, just Google it if that's what works. And uh, we love to have people on the show. We look forward to conversation. It's not scripted very much like our your platform here. Conversation is so much easier to connect to than, uh, than anything else. There is a, uh, as I stated before, each season usually represents something I may or may not be going through and wanting to share out with and finding others who I know have gone through it or are going through it and can and can add to the topic. Uh, a great example, just to plug for a minute, the last six episodes of season three, 2023, focused on the male adoptee voice. I had six male guests come on. Fantastic conversations. I wish that I could do more to get those six men elevated and get their voices out mm -hmm. there so other gentlemen feel comfortable talking about themselves yeah. and their experience. That is an untapped voice. Yep. So yep. if uh, that's another thing, come on, come on to these shows. Come, <laughs> come see myself. Come see Melissa. I'm here yeah. for you. I know she is too. And several other of our podcasting friends. So yeah. Just any of those things were on Instagram and Facebook as well. Awesome. Well, I'll put all those links in the show notes so people can find you. And again, honored to have you on the show, Lisa. And thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Wow, so much insight packed into an hour interview. And if you want to connect more with Lisa Ann, again, her podcast is Wandering Tree and her links are in the show notes. We are doing a swap, so I will be on her podcast soon and I will advertise the link to that when the episode airs. Now I want to switch gears and ask you a question. Did you make a New Year's resolution and already break it? Well, let me tell you, you are not alone. But do you ever wonder why you keep self-sabotaging yourself and breaking that resolution? If you are serious about finding out what is blocking you from creating the life that you want to create, somatic mindful guided imagery just might be that key to unlocking the life that you love. To find out more, go to somatichealingjourneys.com and there you will find out more information about me as a practitioner and SMGI as a quick, easy, and gentle somatic therapy. If you are any part of the triad and want to come tell your story on Mind Your Own Karma, please contact me at mindyourownkarma at gmail.com. I also have a website, mindyourownkarma.com. Get in touch with me and let's get your story on the podcast. As always, take what you need and leave what you don't. And always remember to mind your own karma. I'll see you next time.